invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We'll be reading tonight from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, We'll be reading verses uh, 33 uh, through uh, 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 uh, through 37. We've been uh, walking along with the Lord Jesus, and now we've been gathered at the uh, mountain there with him, at the crowds there, as he gives us the Sermon on the Mount, and he has been uh, preaching uh, to us, explaining to us uh, the heart uh, of the law of God, and he's spoken to us about the sixth uh, commandment, uh, and he's spoken about the seventh uh, commandment, uh, and as we'll see tonight, as we focus on verses 33 to 37, that this uh, passage really has to do with the third commandment. Uh, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God uh, in vain, and uh, we're going to consider these words tonight. So verses 33 through 37, the Lord Jesus has the crowd gathered around him. He's pronounced blessing upon his disciples, upon citizens of the kingdom, and then we hear uh, these words. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes, or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you again uh, for songs to sing uh, for your word that we have before us. And from the very lips of of Jesus again tonight, Lord, that uh, you have set before us this word that we might grow in faith, grow in understanding, Uh, grow closer to you, grow in our sense of need for you and for cleansing from our sin, uh, that we might be made whole, that we might indeed embrace the King who has come, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been considering the Gospel of uh, Matthew for some time in our evening worship services, and we've been doing that under the the theme of uh, the Gospel of Matthew being the Gospel uh, of the kingdom. And so you might remember, uh, we talked about the promise of the king going back to chapter one and the coming of the king and the names of the king and the worship of the king. Remember the uh, men from afar came, wise men from afar. We've talked about the opposition to the king. We've talked about the herald of the king as John the Baptist comes upon the scene. We talked about the temptation of the king and right away the, the opposition that is brought against him by the evil one. And now we're talking about really the followers of the king. Uh, the citizens of the kingdom. And uh, that begins here in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has gathered the crowds before him uh, and teaches us uh, what the citizens of the kingdom are all about. Uh, Kingdom citizens are blessed. Kingdom citizens, he has told us, are the salt and light of the world. Kingdom citizens uh, live by every word of his mouth because there's not one jot or tittle, you'll remember, uh, which comes from the mouth of God, which is going to fail or falter or ever come to an end. And so kingdom citizens live by that word. And uh, he had told us that we pursue a righteousness uh, that far exceeds the hypocritical 
external righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And so then in these last couple of sections, beginning with verse 21, down through the end of this chapter, Jesus is showing to us very practically uh, what that righteousness looks like. Uh, it's, uh, its extent, that means it's, it's, it's width, uh, how broad it actually is, what it all covers, and he's also been showing us uh, the intensity of, of God's law for us. That is how deep it is meant to penetrate um, into our lives. So when it comes to the sixth commandment against murder, Jesus told us it's not just about the unlawful killing of another person, but you can murder someone through your sinful words and through a heart of anger towards them. That's what Jesus calls it. So that command, Jesus says, reaches down into my heart and addresses my loves and my hates, the words on my tongue, and all that I do. Now, in all these, uh, in all these uh, sections that Jesus is uh, preaching here, uh, our tendency is going to be this, of course, as we hear Jesus preaching the law, is to avoid applying that law to ourselves. Um, that's our nature. Uh, we are happy to apply the law of God to others. That's no problem, you know. We see how it applies to others. Oh, it's so clear. Um, but we tend to deflect any convicting power it might have in our life by rationalizing that this law does not apply to us. I mean, how could the command not to murder apply to you? Well, Jesus says it does, because it has to do with your heart. Um, you know, we have this all the time with sermons, you know, and, oh, this sermon is so good, you know, I wish my wife was here, or, oh, so rich and convicting, if only my husband was here to hear it. Um, you know, in seminary I was told, remember, you must always first preach whatever sermon you preach to yourself. Because I should never, never be in the pulpit thinking, here is, a, here is a good sermon for you to hear. Right? First it's a sermon for me to hear. Uh, we tend to think that of the sermons we hear. I mean, we cannot possibly be the target. We have never owned a gun or shot a gun or stabbed someone with a knife, never put our hands around someone's throat and choked the life out of them. No, says Jesus, maybe you haven't. But have you never had anger in your heart towards anyone? I remember when I was little, uh, you know, my father would discipline me physically sometimes when I was a young boy. You know, I look back and the anger I had in my heart to my father. Oh boy, as I look back. Have you never, says Jesus, had a broken relationship? No one has ever had something against you which you needed to deal with. And Jesus told us about that sixth commandment. You need to go and be reconciled. Interrupt your worship of me. Deal with that brother or sister. Be a peacemaker, not a peacebreaker. This is the sixth commandment. And then he helped us out, of course, with the seventh commandment and uh, cleared away the cobwebs of our thinking there. You shall not commit adultery. I mean, who of us has ever committed that? What does that have to do with us? Well, again, Jesus says this is a matter of the heart. It has to actually do with the, uh, the thoughts and desires of the heart. So Jesus, again, plunges deep within where no one else can see. And he says there's all sorts of accessories to this sin of adultery. Looks, our hands, our feet, our eyes, uh, internet and social media, all these things, clothing we wear. Uh, so all these things can, can serve to lead us into this sin. And Jesus says if any, you, if any of those things in your life that lead you into this sin of, uh, of sexual lust or, or any other sin, 
Jesus says, this is so important. This is a matter of eternity. You need to deal with it. You need to deal with it now and deal with it radically. You need to remove it out of your life, he told us last week. You need to cut it off. You need to get rid of it because it's, it's better to lose something um, temporary for the sake of eternity than to lose eternity for the sake of something temporary. Remember that? There's things that lead to adultery. There's things that lead to sin. And even Jesus says, you know, so if you're a man who, if you, 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 uh, uh, you divorce your wife for anything less than sexual immorality, if you do that, says Jesus, you're actually leading her to sin and you're leading the man to sin who marries her because you started it all off with this sinful divorce. You're, you're, you're self an accessory to sin. And we remember how Jesus warned, you know, we can lead little children into sin. We can lead them into sin too. This is what the seventh commandment is all about. You see, how many little children grow up thinking baseball and football and cars and music and mowing the lawn or taking a nap or watching television are more important, more exciting, more joyful than the worship of God. They think that because their parents teach them that. And they're led into sin. So that was the seventh commandment. And yes, it has to do with you. And it has to do with me. And now Jesus turns to the, to the third commandment. The citizen of the kingdom uh, must know that the kingdom of heaven breaking into the, our world through the coming of the long-expected king, that's Jesus before whom all should bow, is a kingdom of truth. A kingdom of truth. Notice what he says. Again, you've heard that it was said, verse 33, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. This is right from the Bible. This is right from the Old Testament. This is God's word. But I say to you, so clearly Jesus now again is going to turn to the, the twisted perversion uh, that, um, that the Pharisees and scribes had put on the law of God. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, which they were doing, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Oaths. Well, we've been thinking about oaths probably this past week. This past week in our country, elections were held for public office, uh, including some states electing uh, new senators. And at the start of each uh, new Congress in January of every odd-numbered year, one-third of our senators take the oath of office when they begin a new term. That goes back to uh, the first Congress in 1789, but the current oath that they take goes back uh, to the time of the Civil War. And this is the oath our senators take. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Listen to the language. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, not going to try to get around it, and that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me, God. So that's a, oh boy, that's a solemn, we call that a solemn oath. Now an oath, um, an oath of office, of course, invokes God as our witness as we solemnly swear that what we say is the truth. So an oath is uh, calling upon God 
as your witness uh, to a promise or statement you make. That's an oath. Now, a vow is a solemn promise you make to God or to someone else. Sometimes there's a lot of overlap. But an oath is calling on God as witness. A vow is you making a promise uh, to God or to someone else. Um, these, are, these, are serious, these are serious things. Now, when do we take oaths? Well, there are, of course, oaths in political realm, as we've just said. Uh, there's also oaths and vows involved in ordination of office bearers. There are marriage oaths and oaths we take when we become a member of a church uh, or when we present our children for baptism. These are solemn affirmations that what you are saying is true. Now, here's the thing. Again, what Jesus quotes here comes from the Old Testament, but what was understood and interpreted and twisted by the teaching of the Pharisees, Jesus is going to, to address. But the words themselves, coming from the Old Testament, are all in context simply about telling the truth in the context of making promises or taking vows or putting yourself under obligation in the Old Testament. So consider passages like this from Leviticus 19.12. says, The Lord, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And so again, this has to do with the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There it is in Leviticus 19. Never, never swear, never take an oath falsely. That is, never claim uh, that you will do something and call upon God as your witness if you don't intend to do it. Do not swear falsely. Speak truth. Numbers 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. That's Numbers 30, verse 2. He shall do that all that proceeds out of his mouth. In other words, God says there in the Old Testament, don't violate your word, speak the truth. That's pretty amazing. So the Lord's saying there, you know, um, if you make a vow, don't break your word. You shall do all that proceeds out of your mouth. Now, that should sound familiar to you, right? Because elsewhere in the scripture, the Bible will say, well, Jesus will say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, why is it that you and I can live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? Because every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is true. And you can rely on it. But here the Bible says to believers in the Old Covenant, when you speak, you should do all that proceeds out of your mouth. In other words, you should be the kind of person that when you speak, uh, people can live by it. Imagine that. Um, uh, what if someone lived by every word which proceeded from your mouth? Uh-oh. What if everyone lived by every word that proceeded from my mouth? Oh, dear. No, I'm a sinner. So don't, don't make that the standard. And yet the Bible says that's exactly what a believer should be. Right? That was, Deuter that was uh, Numbers 30. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21 says, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, uh, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. So if you say, if you make a promise to God, uh, the Bible says, don't delay in fulfilling it because why? Why is what you say and what you promise to do so important? Well, because you are accountable to God. 
for what you've said. Keep your promises. Speak the truth. This is all from the Old Testament. This is all God's word. This is all God's will. You are accountable to God to speak the truth. So a vow or oath in the scripture in the Old Testament was a common way of solemnly committing yourself to a particular course of action or duty, recognizing that you are subject to the judgment of God and that God himself will testify against you if you fail to perform that duty or obligation. So it was a way of confessing the importance of being truthful. You say what you mean, you intend to carry it out, especially when you're making a promise, whether in marriage, in church, or in a court of law. In fact, Psalm 132.11 says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons said the Lord to David, he took an oath, one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. And of course, Jesus comes. But the Lord, you see, took an oath. And then Hebrews 6, 13 goes like this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, think back, since Hebrews 6 says he had no one greater by whom to swear, this is God, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he, that's God, guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, that is, his promise and his oath, in which it's impossible to God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Why can you trust God, says Hebrews? Why can you hold fast to the confession you've made? Uh, why can you, can you live and stand upon the promises of God? Well, not only because he's made those promises, but he's taken, he's taken an oath. And you might remember that when he took that oath to Abraham to, be, to, to bless his descendants, remember he told Abraham, well, take animals, cut them in half, set them out here, and then symbolically the Lord himself there in Genesis walks through these cut piece of animals uh, making a covenant with, with Abram, uh, making his promise and his oath to Abram, basically saying to Abram that if I don't keep my word, uh, let me be as these animals here, you see. Because my word is so solid, um, you can trust me because I speak the truth. So this is God's will. God himself takes an oath. So what is Jesus saying? Verse 34, I say to you, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything from this comes from evil. Well, notice that Jesus is speaking here of oaths taken and encouraged by the Pharisees uh, with this kind of language that you do not find in the Old Testament. For instance, taking an oath by heaven or 
taking an oath by earth, or taking an oath by Jerusalem, or taking an oath by my head, or elsewhere in the scripture we find that there was oaths by the temple or oaths by the altar. Now what's that about? Well, like all the other commandments of God, the issue for the Pharisees, of course, was one of seeking to limit, as it is often for us, to limit the application of God's law, to reduce its scope, and to suggest that, yes, there are oaths taken with God as your witness, and there are vows taken to the Lord himself, and yes, those vows, of course, must be kept. But they were also teaching something like this. If you made a vow by heaven, or by earth, or in the name of Jerusalem, or by the hairs of my head, well, you know, those are not quite as as serious. I mean, you haven't made a vow to the Lord in that case. It's kind of like if you make a promise to a brother or sister, uh, but you make that that promise, and behind your back, you've got your fingers crossed. Because you don't really mean it. I mean, yes, it's a promise, but you didn't really mean it. And you don't expect to keep it. And there's no guilt, really, in telling that lie. The Pharisees would say something like, well, yes, uh, when the name of the Lord is involved, that's serious, but there are lesser vows. They made up other vows like we do. We try to avoid calling God as witness, and we might say something like, well, I swear on my mother's grave. Or I, someone might say, I swear by, by all that is holy. Or uh, someone might say, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Or someone might say, I, I swear by the Dodgers. You know, something like that. And what Jesus does is, you'll notice he ties every one of the Pharisees' attempts to lessen the importance of what they are saying and speaking the truth Uh, he connects every one of them to the Lord himself. He says, well, you talk about swearing by heaven. Well, actually, heaven, he says, is the throne of God. Earth, he says, is the footstool of God. Jerusalem is the city of the great king. It's the city of God, and God is the one who gives the color to the hairs on your head. Jesus is saying to them, listen, God is inescapable. You might think you're lessening the importance of what you say, But all our speech, says Jesus, is under God. Unless required by authority, uh, like the church uh, or the state, we shouldn't, says Jesus, be multiplying special oaths because no matter what, you are speaking before God. Any promise you make, any oath you take, is spoken, says Jesus, before before the great king. All your conversations, all my speech, all my promises, no matter how you try to lessen their importance, Jesus is saying they all have God as your witness. The kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of truth. Let what you say, says Jesus, be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from from evil. Friends, even as the Lord is concerned with our hearts and our thoughts and desires, here He is the Lord who is concerned with our intentions and every word we speak. Now, when Jesus says, do not take an oath at all, He's not saying uh, that the Old Testament was in error or that God's law is in error. 
or that the Lord did not speak on oath to Abraham, which he did, or on oath to David, which he did. He's not saying that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Paul all sinned in the oaths they took, but he is saying this, do not continue this practice of oath-taking, which seeks to subvert simply speaking the truth at all times, in all places, and in all situations. Stop trying to excuse, Jesus says, your sin, because in all your words and all your promises and all these vows, you are accountable to God to speak the truth. Now, how do we know that? Now, Jesus is not saying all oath. Well, because Jesus himself would be put under oath before his crucifixion. Remember, Matthew 26, 63, the high priest said to him, said to Jesus, said, I adjure you by the living God. That is, I, 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 I say to you, uh, before the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So the high priest says to Jesus, I call upon you, Jesus, before God. Are you the Christ? And Jesus said to him, as you know, you've said so, but I tell you, from now on, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. So this is all under oath. From now on, said Jesus to the high priest, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he said it under oath. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? Why would he say that? Well, because God was called upon. You've now heard his blasphemy. So so the high priest himself had put Jesus under oath, and Jesus doesn't respond, well, wait a minute, this isn't right. I can't take any kind of civil oath or or religious oath or something like that. I can't call upon the Father's... No, he doesn't do any of that. No, he answers, and he speaks the truth. So what's going on here? What's the point here in Matthew 5? Well, Jesus is opposing here in Matthew 5 all kinds of speaking with the mouth with which one does not really believe in the heart. The Pharisees had all sorts of ways to profess to say something, but, but well, they could excuse it if they made that vow in certain ways. And Jesus says, no, citizens of the kingdom speak the truth. They speak yes and mean yes. They speak no and they mean no. There shouldn't be any need for a citizen of the kingdom of heaven to ever be put under oath because a Christian who is a follower of King Jesus who always spoke the truth, a Christian is called upon always to speak the truth. And so you might be called to put your hand upon a Bible But even if you didn't have a Bible, you would know that you're standing uh, under the sight of God and all you say to others. How do we know this? Well, you might remember how the Apostle Paul uh, describes the Christian. You know, Jesus here is after all kinds of speaking with the mouth, uh, which one does not actually believe in the heart. And what does this have to do with you and I as believers in Jesus Everything. Romans 10, verse 8 says this. Uh, but what does it say? Says the Apostle Paul, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. 
That is the word of faith that we proclaim because, says the Bible, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So confessing and believing down here. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Says Jesus to the believer, if you're a believer tonight, you say what you mean. You keep your promises. You let your yes be yes and your no, no, because the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of truth. This is God's standard for citizens of the kingdom. Not broken promises, not broken contracts, not broken marriages, not broken vows. No husband saying to a wife, yes, I know I promised before God, but no wife saying to a husband, yes, I know I promised before God, but, you know, things have changed. No elder or deacon saying to the church, yes, I know I I promised I believed and would uphold our confession of faith, but I didn't really mean it. No church member saying, yes, I know I vowed before the congregation here and before God himself as witness, I vowed as a member of this church to be faithful in the worship and service of the church, but you don't expect me to actually come, do you? Or you don't actually expect me to serve and bring food for snack or serve in the nursery or or help with outreach. You don't actually expect me to do any of that, do you? Even though I said I would before God. No, in the kingdom of heaven, kingdom citizens are committed to speak the truth before their king. No masks, uh, no hypocrisy. Uh, (laughs) We've been looking at buying buying a home in New Jersey. And uh, we've had to do that, of course, through, um, through video phone. And so there's people in the church there and our realtor who've been helping us uh, you know, trying to buy a home in New Jersey through a video phone. And so we'll read something on Zillow, uh, for instance, that says, uh, oh, there's so much nice write-ups. They'll say something like, um, you know, we look at this house, it says, pride of ownership. Oh, yes, uh, what a glorious house this is. And so it's, oh, okay, uh, maybe our friends can go take a look at that. And so they go, and we get on the video phone. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's, there's trim missing in every room. And... Uh, and there's things leaking from the roof. And, uh, you know, and, and, and they go into the basement and, oh, they can barely stand the stench. And, oh, yes, pride of ownership. Yeah, no, no, no. It's all a lie. It's all a lie. Because what they've said, <laughs> it's actually a dump. In the kingdom of heaven, says Jesus, kingdom, of, kingdom citizens, live before the great king, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. No mass, no hypocrisy, truth. So that even it would be true of you and it would be true of me that whatever proceeds out of my mouth, you could trust it. What's Jesus doing here? He's doing at least two things. For the unbeliever, for the hypocrite, 
for the Pharisee who had feigned, faked righteousness and a false faith in himself. Jesus is saying to them, listen, (laughs) you cannot make yourself holy before God by keeping his law as you think it should be kept. You think maybe you're righteous. You are not. Because if you limit the law by applying it only to your outward actions, then maybe you can make yourself look pretty good before others. But if, as Jesus teaches, the law is much bigger, much grander, much more penetrating and extensive and intensive, touching not only our outward actions, but our thoughts, desires, intentions of the heart. Did you really mean what you said? Oh, that's what, that's what Jesus is after. That we be men and women and children of our word. If we come to see that, then for the unbeliever, we understand that we're convicted of our sin. And we recognize there's no one, there's no one who does good. And we are sinners in need of a Savior. But Jesus is also speaking here, of course, to the believer. To the citizen of the kingdom. To the one who has seen their sin and has put their faith and trust in the king who's come, who's worthy of all our worship, who's been proclaimed to us that we must, who's proclaimed to us we must repent and believe in the gospel. The believer is taught here by Jesus uh, just how deep uh, and penetrating the work of the Holy Spirit is meant to be. We are changed from the inside out. And when Christ is your Lord and Savior, He will have all of you and not just part of you. And He's come to redeem you body and soul, to remove our masks and hypocrisy and superficiality, to renew us in the image of our Savior. So that when we speak, or when we stand up here, as the Mendozas will do next Lord's Day, and they'll they'll take five vows of membership, And with the Lord living within them, and by the Holy Spirit living within them, they will mean every word they say. And their intention is to walk in the ways of the Lord. You see, no masks, no professing one thing, and believing something else in the heart. No hypocrisy. Your yes is yes. Yes to the Lord. And your no is no. No, uh, I do not, and am not, uh, drawn to the things of sin and evil around me. Jesus has come for the believer that you and I might speak the truth. Oh, we're going to sing soon at Christmas time, December, a hymn uh, where, where, remember, there's this line. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. He comes to make... His blessings known far as. How far has the curse gone? Well, not to my external actions. It's sunk deep within that I don't always speak what I really believe. But Jesus says, in the kingdom, all that, you see, is taken away because he comes to cleanse us within. No more mass needed. No hypocrisy needed, you see. For those who see their sin, in the light of the Savior. And so for the believer, praise the Lord. That means not just keeping us from sin externally, but washing us, cleansing us within. That our profession uh, would match our heart. Our words would match our intention, and our lives would reflect our Savior, the kingdom of heaven, 
is the kingdom of truth. May it be so uh, in our lives. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this uh, sermon that he gives to us, Lord, showing us the, the width and the depth of the law of God. Lord, so that if we are self-righteous, so that if we are somehow thinking that, that we have made ourselves holy because we have kept this law, we haven't murdered, we haven't committed adultery, we haven't taken your name in vain, oh Lord, that we would come to see that your law goes much deeper. It has to do with our heart, our intentions, our desires, and our loves. And help us then, Lord, to see that Jesus does this so that the unbeliever, that uh, the self-righteous would come to see their sin, not so that they would wallow in their sin, uh, but that they would run to the Savior, that we need cleansing, we need forgiveness, we need new life that only Jesus can provide. And when he provides it, oh Lord, thank you again for this Sermon on the Mount that tells us that the work of the Lord Jesus is not just to clean the outside of the cup, but he goes deep within by his Spirit, and transforms us, cleanses us from the inside out that we would have desires and loves and passions that are formed, not by the world of sin around us or by our own sinful nature, but are formed by the very life of Christ himself. Help us, dear Lord, then, to see the glory of our Savior, that we might love him more. And in this week to come, that we would be truth speakers as those who belong to the King. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.